Hey guys, welcome to episode number four of the Strong Dead Army podcast. Before we get into this week's episode, I'd just like to briefly explain to you why it was I started this podcast up. Basically, being a dad of four, I have the normal trials and tribulations of being a father, you know, making sure I've got enough time to play with my kids, making sure I've got enough time to devote to my to my wife, to maintain a healthy relationship with my wife as well, to, you know, to maintaining a healthy relationship with myself, you know, and, and, you know, that to me is working out. I like to try and train three or four days a week if I can. Now, years gone by, if I didn't get those four sessions a, a week in, I would have gone crazy. It would have really affected my mental health. Um, but now things are totally different and I accept that I can't always get those sessions in. So sometimes I may only get one or two sessions a week in, but I'm good with it. I do my best to keep as active as possible, manage my nutrition as best as I can and just make sure I'm having as good a relationship, you know, and as fun a relationship with my kids and my partner as I as I can. Um, and the reason I started this podcast is to get other dads on. You know, not all these dads are going to be, you know, ex-professional athletes or, you know, strength coaches or, you know, ex-military personnel or, or whatever, you know, just the idea behind it is that they are regular guys. And that's the idea of, you know, the, the the way the podcast goes to show you that they are just normal people, normal dads who, you know, live normal lives just like you and me. They have the same struggles we do, whether that be sort of physically, mentally, financially, relationships, what it is, you know, we're we're all the same in just in sort of different aspects, aspects, excuse me, of life. And that's part of the reason as well why I set up or why I have running currently um, the Inner Circle. Now, the Inner Circle is an online uh, membership group, community, whatever you want to call it, where, you know, dads and there are some ladies in there as well who've been in there for a while. We've got some awesome ladies in the group who come to the group, come to the Inner Circle. They get their workouts provided for them each month. They get their own sort of personalized calorie targets. They get brand new recipes every week that we all, you know, we all have a go whipping up. We get live Q&As going in the Facebook group. But the idea behind it is to have a support group because the, the one thing that I've learned through running my online fitness business is that support is the biggest factor that my clients need or have needed in the past when they've been with me. Anybody can, you know, thrash up a, a training program or give you know, X amount of calories to hit each day. You can even find all that information for free on the internet, you know, and if you want to, go for it, knock yourself out. But the support from a coach who gives a shit, like myself, you know, yeah, I'm bigging myself up, but the reason I enjoy what I do and I'm pretty all right at what I do, all right, I'll, I'll say I'm good at what I do is because I give a shit about the people that come to me and want to work with me. So if you fancy joining us, Normally, the inner circle costs $29.99 a month. but So that's less than a quid a day. That's less than a pound a day. But if you head to newyoufit.co.uk forward slash inner circle and enter the code podcast, all in capital letters. So that's podcast, capital letters at checkout. You'll get your first month in the inner circle discounted down to just $9.99. So head over to newyoufit.co.uk forward slash inner circle. And at checkout, put the code podcast in all capital letters and get your first month discounted to $9.99. Come and join us. Have a bit of a laugh you know, learn some new things, some new training techniques, you know, learn a few new recipes. I don't know. It's, it's all about just having a bit of fun and, you know, getting a bit leaner, getting a bit stronger and feeling healthier 
all at the same time. So that's me done waffling about that. This week, my guest is an old friend of mine. His name is Paul Wood. Paul is a former professional rugby league player, spent many years playing for Warrington Wolves. He was an international for a period as well, and he's also self-dubbed the toughest athlete on earth. I'll let you judge from his story of an excruciating and horrific injury he sustained in a Super League Grand Final a good few years back. If you don't know the story already, make sure you stick around, listen to that story, because fellas especially, it'll make your eyes water, but it's a cracking story. So without further ado, here's this week's episode with Paul Wood. Enjoy. Okay, welcome to the next episode of the Strong Dad Army podcast. Today, my guest uh, is a ex-rugby league, well, pro-rugby league player. Um, many know him as, I know he's going to smile now, the hardest man in rugby league, toughest man in rugby league. I don't know what name they gave him. We'll <laughs> toughest, toughest, toughest athlete, Dan. The toughest world. World. <laughs> toughest athlete in the world, fair enough, pal. I, do, I stand corrected. <laughs> so, former pro rugby league player, also dabbled in a bit of coaching again, we'll go into that, but uh, former Warrington Wolves and Featherstone Rovers player, Paul Wood. Welcome on, pal. Cheers, Dan. Thanks for asking me. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not too bad. Uh, just uh, plodding along in this lockdown, um, getting minimal amounts of training in myself. Yeah. Uh, for what I can do, just adjusting to that. Going to be a bit of an earache at the minute. So, uh, But other than that, mate, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Looking forward to a bit of a normality to get back now. I think it's week six we're in now, isn't it? It is, mate. Yeah, week six. So this will probably be going out in a couple of weeks, this sport. So who knows where we'll be by then in about two or three weeks' time. Hopefully we'll be easing up a bit, maybe, yeah. Yeah. So if it's all right with you, mate, we'll just sort of start to begin. I mean, obviously, we've worked together at, uh, at the gym, which we'll talk about you know, a while back. So, you know, we know each other anyway, but um, for those listening who maybe don't know much about you or anything like that, you obviously you spent a long time playing pro rugby league in Super League. Um, so like, how, how did you get into rugby league? Because I obviously know that I know you, you're from Wigan and the, you're probably about 75, 80% chance that you're going to be playing rugby league if you're from Wigan, aren't you? <laughs> probably higher than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, like you say, you know, come from a small town in uh, you know, in uh, in the UK called Wigan and it's predominantly, you know, a rugby league town and, and and I'd probably say, you know, without rugby league the job the job centre queue would probably be a bit bigger. Uh, <laughs> because there's a lot of a lot of lads who um you know, we, we sort of use it as a bit of a get out clause, you know, to I wasn't um, academic by all means. I didn't particularly enjoy school, didn't enjoy yeah. going to school. Um so I knew that, you know, I was never going to do an office job or, or sit behind a desk. Um, it just was never going to be for me. So so my my plan is, uh, from a very young age was, you know, I was either going to work in some form of construction um, or be a professional sports player. And once I started high school, when I was 11 years of age, um, I'd never played rugby league before, but I'd watched it. Uh, obviously Wigan at the time the professional Wigan Rugby League team at the time was you know it, they were the current world champions Yeah. so I'd watched Rugby League but never played it and um, 
my games teacher at the time, Mr. Butchall, Derek Butchall, who's a well-known name in Wigan, who's, who's coached a lot of professional rugby league players, said that he saw something in me mm-hmm. uh, and that I'd be going for the rugby, rugby trials on the Thursday. But um, that day, there was football trials. Now, all my mates played football, so I was always intended to go and trial out for the football team. Never no good at football. Yeah. Um, I, knew, I knew I wasn't any good, uh, but I just liked being physical and active. Anyway, I changed my mind. I went for the rugby team. In fact, I didn't change my mind. Mr. Butchall pretty much told me I'm, I'm going to the rugby trials. And <laughs> uh, when I went there, I, basically, he said, "Look," he said, "You know, you've you've got a bit of aggression about you. You know, you've got a good work rate." He said, "Try and pass me this ball." So I tried to demonstrate passing a ball. I couldn't pass. So he said, "Listen," he said, "Stick with it, and um, you know I'm, I'm going to put you in the back row. Where the back row position um, at, at school level was pretty much just get the ball and run as hard as you can and, and yeah. try and find a gap." And, and that was my job basically. And within about six months, I got I got picked for Wigan Schoolboys, which is um, at, at my age group at the time was a pretty a pretty good achievement because there was a lot of good rugby yeah. league players at the time. So that just sort of um, you know, ignited a bit more enthusiasm for the game. So within space of six months, I was playing for uh, a local amateur team. I was playing for the Wigan School Boys and my school team, and I'd been selected for uh, a Northwest Counties trial as well. So I thought, you know, I must be pretty decent at this, so I stuck at it. And, and to be honest with you, I'd tried every single sport going as a young lad. I'd been swimming. Uh, so my mum used to take me at six o'clock in the morning swimming uh, down at Wigan Bastler. Uh, I used to do football, which again, I was never any good at. Uh, I did Thai boxing, I did boxing, I did judo, I did everything. The only things that I really had a passion for was the Thai boxing and the, and the rugby. And when it come to it at 12 years of age, because I was playing so much rugby, my dad, who was a keen martial artist, mm-hmm. said that um, you're going to have to pick one of the other here. And I, and I chose rugby. So that's how I got into it. That was my uh, my introduction to rugby. And, and then from there, you know, I... Um, I just, I just dedicated my life to it. You know, that's how I found the gym. That's how I found, um, you know, training. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, and that was uh, just my passion then from the age of about 11, 12 years of age. Yeah, so I mean, the thing is, that I know this and I'm not sure if, if you do. I think we have spoke about this in the past is that we were actually same same year at school, you and me, same age like. And uh, yeah. when, you, when you're saying you play for Wigan School Boys, I was playing for Lee School Boys at the time as well. And... Um, I didn't realise this at the time. It was only years later when I, you know, with other people, you get in contact with people on Facebook. So, like, you would have been in the same team as uh, people like Martin Aspinwall. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, so, like, Asper, Stu Jones, Rob Gallagher. So, they, they were, they was yeah. my age. So, chances are, we probably played against each other a bunch of times and didn't even really realise. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember running over you, I think, Dan. Yeah, time. most likely. <laughs> no, and, I, and I probably ran around you, though. <laughs> yeah. That's probably true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, um, but for those that, you know, you don't know, though, the rivalry between Wigan and Lee, even at that age, 11-year-old, it's probably bigger than United and City, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is, mate. I mean, um, Wigan and Lee, the rivalry is unreal. I mean, um, just to go forward a little bit, when I worked at the Lee Centurions uh, as a, the professional rugby league club, yeah. um, and I was the S&C coach there, and... We, we'd managed to get promotion to Super League. and So I was actually involved in Wigan, professional Wigan Rugby League team versus Lee Centurions. And the, the rivalry was unreal, you know. And I've been yeah. involved in uh, Warrington and Witness derbies, Warrington and Wigan derbies. I've, I've 
you know, been watching Wigan and Lee derbies, but the the Wigan and uh, sorry, the Wigan and Saints derbies, but um, in rugby league terms, the the Wigan and Lee one is 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 um, you know it's ferocious. You know, they yeah. they absolutely hate each other. <laughs> you know, and they, I know Wigan has wound Lee, Lee people up by saying, you know, you, we we have uh, Wigan council and Lee and stuff like that. So yeah. um, it, there is a lot of. Um, a lot of banter that goes about, but we won that day. I think it was about fifty points to thirty, and it's, it's the day they never forgot. You yeah. know, oh, yeah, uh, they, they absolutely loved it. But yeah, ones. you're right. Even in even at our age, under elevens, to play a Lee Town team meant more yeah. than playing like a Warrington or a St Helens or a Witness. Yeah, because I think we used to play each other on uh, Robin Park or something like that, didn't we? And it was it was massive. Yeah, it was a uh, yeah good times. Good times. So. Um, <laughs> I mean, apart from the tail end of your career when you did like a year or so at Featherstone or a couple of years or whatever, you, you pretty much played all your career at Warrington, didn't you? So when when was it you were um, sort of, st- again, picked up by them? When did you, you know, sort of sign your contract or go for trials or whatever? How old were you? Um, I was 16 when I went for my first trial. Uh, funny one with me, really, because look at from about the, the year 95, when I was about 14, from 95 to about 98, there was a period where professional rugby teams were picking lads up at the age of like 13, 14, 15. They were paying them big money. And a lot of lads got signed up very, very young. Uh, and every birthday, they'd get a lump sum of money. And I wasn't one of those lads. There was me and a couple of lads. We didn't get signed up. And back then, you, you, you was probably a little bit worried if you didn't get picked up at 16, whether you'd actually make it in professional sport, which, looking back, it's ludicrous. You know, because you're still a young lad, you're still a lot of developing to do. Yeah, and right. and this day and age now, you know, there's there's athletes coming into the professional game at the age of 21, 22. But back then, there was a little bit of um, apprehension. So I went for my first trial at St. Helens when I was 16. I did a couple of uh, training sessions down there. But then the Warrington scout came watching me when I played for St. Williams. And um, they actually come looking at three other lads. One of them, who you've just mentioned, Martin Aspinwall, yeah. uh, Stuart Jones and one other player, I can't remember who it was, but they ended up signing three different players, me, Mark Gleeson, and um, Dave Olstead. Uh, and it was the head coach at the Warrington time, an Aussie guy called Daryl Vanderbilt. Uh, he just liked the look at me. He said he liked my aggression levels. But I'd always been told, and uh, I've heard the story be, be, be told to me, that uh, my actual home team, my home club of Wigan Warriors at the time, uh, always said I won't be big enough. One of the scouts said, um, I like him. I think he's a decent player, but he'll never be big enough to play prop forward. And, uh, you know, I wasn't the biggest. I wasn't the biggest prop forward by all means. I had a lot of work to do in that department. Um, but what Warrington, luckily for me, what Warrington had was, um, you know, we, we sort of, we look at the, the we look at the athlete, the, the work ethic and the aggression levels of the players. And then if yeah. we need to make them bigger, we sort of build them up, they build them up as a package. And that's one of the first things they did actually said to me when they signed. They said, look, we'll sign you. Uh, you're a 16 year old kid or seven, just turned 17. He said, but you do need to put some size on if you want to play at a decent level. So I made it my mission really just to, to get bigger. Nice one. So how many years was it you stayed at Warrington for them, pal? <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, from 99, I stayed there till uh, the, the beginning of 2015. Uh, so I did like a 17-year career. Um, and, yeah, there was a lot of up and downs. I, I joined the club when there was... Um, they, they, they were sort of a mediocre team, really, at the time, Warrington. They had um, 
middle of the ground uh, type of team, but they had a lot of superstars in in the. the they just signed a, an Australian player who's who's classed as one of the world's best, Alan Langer. They had yep. Tuera Nico, uh, they had Andrew G, and then they had young kids in there. Um, I'm saying young kids, similar age to me at the time, but uh, Lee Breers, who, who was there. Um, and then they had like a couple of young Wigan lads who were very promising, uh, Dave Itini and Sibbett. So they had potentially a good team, but we always underdeveloped, uh, sorry, underachieved. Um, and, and looking back, we were a bit of a party animal team. Um, the, the guys, some of the guys who did sound were coming towards the back end of the career. There was a big drinking culture mm-hmm. and um, that probably wasn't the best environment yeah. for me as an 18 year old looking back, but you do what your peers are doing. And, you know, when it's compulsory to go to a bar, then um, you go to a bar and have a drink with your mates and, and stay out till after clock in the morning. And, you know, there's, there, was, there wasn't as much emphasis on the, what I'll call sports science back then. And, you know, the, the literature that was out there wasn't practised as much as, yeah. as it probably should have been. Uh, where some teams were and they were successful and we were more about having a good time. So, um, yeah, you know, when I first started Mediocre, then we got a new coach, Paul Cullen, who turned us into a playoff team. He was brilliant for my development. You know, I always say he turned me from a boy to a man because he teached me some stern lessons. Uh, you know, when I got dropped, how I handled myself in certain situations. And then, you know, when the, the, another coach came in, Tony Smith, again, I, I feel like I adapted again and learned more about the game as such, more than myself. And um, and sort of, you know, were fortunate enough to play in some finals then and, and, yeah. and win a couple of trophies. So, yeah, it was, it was a good 17 years, but plenty of up and downs, injuries and, and you know, times where I didn't get picked and, you know, performances were good, performances were, were shit. So, yeah, yeah, up and down. Ups and downs like everything else, isn't it, all, pal? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, as I mentioned in the intro, the, uh, was it the top, <laughs> toughest athlete alive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously I know yeah. all about this story. There'll be plenty of people who do know this story, but you know, hopefully there'll be some guys listening who, who don't know anything about you. So it's a cracking story, mate. So I'll let you tell it. So what, where did you earn this nickname? <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a, an unusual story, really, I suppose, in, in rugby league. It, is, it had been unheard of, really, uh, this type of injury. But again, going back to what I was saying earlier, I, I played in a Warrington team that you know was sort of, uh, an underachieving team. Then we we progressed over the years. Yeah. Um, so I'd been at the club about ten years before. I'd, I'd played at the club professionally for ten years before I'd won my first trophy. When I won that trophy, I, I liked how it felt. Yeah. I loved playing in a final. It was like, you know, it was it was like a drug. I suppose it was just I was on such a high. Um, fast forward a couple of years, we reached the first grand final, which would have crowned us uh, the overall league champions. Um, during that game, the second half kicked off. I received the ball. I think it was the second tackle of the game, and I got um, two two man tackle, and and uh, I got kneed in, in the uh, in the groin region, and ruptured a testicle. I got up, played the ball, and the adrenaline was pumping that much from the game that um, I obviously knew that I'd done the injury and I was in a lot of pain, but because of the situation and the game, the magnitude of that game, yeah. I, I, w- I wouldn't come off the field. So I ended up playing another 25 minutes with, with this ruptured testicle. <laughs> um, so yeah, come, once I've, I've eventually come, come off the field, 
the pain started increasing and increasing. And my coach said, look, you, you won't go back on. He didn't know about this injury at the time, but he said, look, you've done your job. You won't go back on now. The guys who were on the field will finish the game. Yeah. Um, and I showed it to a couple of players and it was like, there's something not right there. Uh, the game finished, we lost the game, uh, but the coach said, you know, do the decent thing, let's stay out there, let's applause the winners, uh, you know, show some gratitude to those guys, uh, you know, let's be very sportsmanlike, so we stayed out, clapped them off, I got into the shower after that, and then I just collapsed, and the doctor said, what's up, showed him the issue, and, and uh, whizzed off straight to Salford Royal Infirmary, where they did a, an immediate surgery on, on the testicle to remove it, so from that, that actual injury got more limelight than the actual grand final. So, um, you know, I was doing interviews in every single country you could think of, you know, to a point where I had newspaper articles in, in Afghanistan. You know, my mate, my mate did a, a scrapbook and he come round and he said, what I've done is I've collected every newspaper article like you've been in. And there were places like Poland, Germany, Afghanistan, Zimbabwe. And I'm like, How's this reached these countries? Like they've never heard of rugby league, but the injury just magnitude of it. And um, I ended up doing a few radios uh, interviews in New York and stuff. And yeah, it was published in the paper. You know, is this the world's toughest athlete? Blah blah blah. blah. This is the injury. So I've just nicked that title now, and I remind everyone it's not the toughest rugby league player. It's the toughest athlete. So uh, I do have a bit of banter about it, but um, yeah, it, it was it was a pretty big thing at the time, and. Um, you know, a bit of a life life changing event for me. Oh, oh yeah, awesome! What a what a story that is. It's a cracker that. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, I know tail end of your career. Um, like you said, you mentioned you touched on briefly that you went into strength and conditioning coaching at Lee. Was it Lee first or was it Featherstone first? Yeah, it was Lee. Uh, where I got my first full time role. Yeah, right. And you helped out a bit at Featherstone, did, did you? Or was that just the playing? Yeah, um, at Featherstone, I was just working closely with the SNC guys there because right. it's um, at, at the time when I was at Featherstone, the SNC coach there, I'd worked with him at Warrington as well. And um, I was doing my master's degree at the time in, oh, in sports witty, science. Was it, was it yeah, Gazwit. Who's a Lee lad, yeah. Yeah, you play with the million um, miners, yeah. Yeah, so Gaz was the SNC coach there. And. Um, yeah, so and, and I knew Gaz, he's very intelligent, Gaz, and he's very academic and he's a good SNC coach as well. So I knew that, you know, when I was at Featherstone, I tried to tap into him as much as I could because yeah. I wanted to, you know, I, I had this plan at the time that, you know, I was going to be an SNC coach and, and move into into professional sports. So yeah, I was just helping out at Fev. But my first full time paid role was at um, Lee Centurions when I when I basically retired from rugby then. Right, nice one. How long was that for? A couple of years, was it? <laughs> Yeah, I did uh, three years at Lee Centurions. Um, yeah, three years. Uh, so, where, so where do you find yourself now? Then you're still involved in the sport or any sport, or is it? Have you moved on from it? No, I um, I've, I've moved on from sport. Um, so you know, I, I had a playing career for seven years and then, uh, seventeen years, and then um, I you know I went into S and C for three years and twenty years in professional sport. I just come to a. a bit of a point in my life where I sat down one day and went do I really want to do this much longer be involved in sport and, and the health and fitness side and as you've touched on you know I had a gym at the time and I like I've just I've had enough of it so I said you know what I'm going to do a complete career change I want something where I went back to to uh, what, what my thought process was at school where 
you know, get into some form of construction. So I ended up um, working with uh, in stone masonry, fitting oh. granite worktop. So I completely ditched my job uh, yeah. as an SNC coach. Passed my ma- <laughs> I passed my master's degree, and within two months, I'd, I'd quit my job. It was like it was so uh, bizarre how it happened, but. At the time, I just really, really needed a change. I just, I just didn't have any passion for it anymore. So, um, and I loved it. I, I loved the fact I was doing something different. I was fitting these worktops, learning new skills, and going into people's houses and finishing the kitchens off. And it was like it was just getting so much job satisfaction out of it. And that's what matters. That's it, yeah. And I work waking up every morning thinking, oh, I've got to go. I've got to go to work every morning, and that's where I got myself. With the uh, with the SNC, I was at a point where I was thinking, don't really want to go to work before, and I'd never had that in a playing career. Right. When you're playing rugby, I'd never had that. I've just been having the conversation with uh, an old teammate of mine. You know, even if I was ill, I'd, I'd be getting sent home from training and ringing up saying, you know, you, I'm having a day off because I'm not feeling too good or whatever. They'd send me home because I had that dedication, that passion to to do the job, but. Uh, yeah, complete change. So now, and then I've worked, now I'm working in sales. So you know, I've been in, in this game for almost three years now, and um, yeah, I've, um, I've 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 managed to work myself into a, a sales role. So it's uh, it's good. It's good. I've learned a lot over the last three years. And that's what that's the thing, isn't it? Like you say, it's it's about you know a, a big thing where it comes to like obviously I'm still involved in the, like the fitness side of stuff as you know but when it comes to anything I think a big thing is like people will say you know they'll, they'll they'll whinge about the job or this that and the other but they'll they won't even make the slightest attempt to change it to change something you know what I mean but obviously you're proof that you know you, you lost your passion for it and if you just stuck with it, I'd imagine, you know, you'd be one of those people as well, you know, like you say, I'm just, I can't be asked doing this anymore, but you'd have just gone to work and carried on, but you didn't, you, you did something about it, didn't you? Well, I'm one of them guys, me, Dan, where if I have a conversation with somebody in the morning about something and they don't do anything to change it, I'll walk away from that conversation yeah. and I'll walk away and think, what, why would you live that life? Why would you do something that you don't want to do every day for the rest of your life? Yeah. So I had to practice what I was preaching, really. Mm-hmm. And I weren't willing to, you know, for me, life's too short to go to a job just for the sake of bringing bread and butter home on the table, yeah. you know. And I knew it was going to be tough to start with uh, because I was, I was basically going into the unknown. I was going to have to learn new skills and there was going to be a bit of pressure. But I was willing to make that sacrifice. And it's put me in good stead because now I don't fear um, anything in terms of change now. So I knew, I knew, you know, like, for example, this lockdown, the COVID-19 virus has put us on lockdown and there's a lot of jobs at risk. Now, there's a lot of people sat at home who were panicking probably about the jobs, but I don't have that fear because mm-hmm. I, I have faith and, and belief in myself that if, if, I was, if I needed to change my trade or I needed to get a completely new job, then I've got enough belief in myself to, to, to work myself and to push myself to, to get something. You know, there's always going to be jobs out there. Whether it's something I like is a different thing, but I'll always gravitate to something that's, you know, that's meant for me. Yeah. Um, so I don't have that fear, but I, I just can't sit back and just go with the, um, just go with the norm. It's just not me. I can't, um, I can't just put up with something for the sake of putting up with something. And sometimes it's been a bit of a weakness as mine as well, because it's, it's cost me things. 
in the past and I've walked away from situations looking back I probably shouldn't have walked away from mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know more often than not it's a, it's a good strength to have just to have that faith and, and don't be scared of change you know if you want to do something just pursue it yeah and that's the thing I think you know you can just you, even if you do it small you, you know it doesn't have to be um, you know all in necessarily you know sometimes going all in is, is, the, is a good way to go but like you know, even if it's just learning a new skill sort of on the side in your spare time or whatever, in it, you know, it's yeah. I mean, I like uh, I listen to Tony Robbins quite a lot, and there's an expression that I always like that he uses, and he says, Burn the boats. And um, and he says, You know, if you got put on a desert island and then you burnt the boats, you'd have to survive, yeah. So sometimes I have that expression in my head, and I'm just thinking, Just burn the boats, just do yeah. it. Because at the end of the day, what's the worst what can happen? You know, you'll survive. You will survive. You'll find a way to do it. And sometimes it's it can be daunting. And I wouldn't recommend just saying, "I don't like this job, so I'm going to try this job and commit." commit uh, you know, quit everything straight yeah. away. Try and have a bit of an exit strategy. But there comes a time where sometimes you've just got to say, "You know what? I'm going to have to burn the boats here. I'm going to have to put myself under a lot of pressure to make this work." You know, and you know that's you know they say that's how diamonds are made. You know, pressure makes diamonds, and um, you know I, I need to put myself under pressure sometimes because I can constantly put things off and think mm, I'm comfy here, I'm comfy. I'll keep taking a bit of an income from here, and I'll just keep plodding on from here. But yeah. sometimes I've just got to say, you know what, fuck it, just just jump in now. Yeah. You know, put yourself under the pressure. Nice, good, glad to hear you. it's going well for you, mate. So uh, uh, moving on though, like I've. Uh, might not have mentioned in the intro. You obviously I know again. You're a you're a dad. Three kids you've got on your pal. Is that right? Three. Yeah, it? three kids. Yeah, as yeah, I say, yeah. as I know of. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said that about me, mate. So, uh, <laughs> so, like you know, whether whether it's be during your playing career or you you put that period of coaching, or even now with the job you're doing now, or or anything like that. What what sort of challenges can you think of? you might have been through as a dad though that you think might help people listening, you know, whether it be, you know, mate, I don't know what your, your time management was like as a pro athlete, you know, if you were away from home a lot or, you know, what sort of things have you sort of struggled with, but managed to come out the other side? Um, I think, you know, having, having three kids, it's, it's very, very time consuming. Um, I'm very, very fortunate. I've got a great partner that, um, does a lot with our kids yeah. and um, pretty much sometimes she can leave me to my own devices and um, you know if, if I want to go to the gym and stuff I can go to the gym and uh, you know if I've, if I've got meetings that I need to get to then she, she'll leave me leave me be but um, I think time management's massive um, one, one mistake I've made uh, what, what I will say is um, what is, is sometimes I've sacrificed my kids' time for my own um, sort of development or, or for work mm-hmm. necessity. And, and some of that is probably a bit of a regret because um, I've missed some things with my kids that I, 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 wish, I'd have, <clears throat> I wish I'd have seen. But, um, yeah, I think, I think for me is, um, you know, I, now I spend as much time as I can with my kids and that's, that's what I've enjoyed about this lockdown is that, stuck in with them and you know I'm seeing a lot more time with them and it, it's funny because my youngest lad is a, he's very much a mummy's boy he's five years of age and he's attached to his mum constantly <laughs> but in this last six weeks we've sort of um, 
grown a lot closer together. Yeah, uh, we've just, we just created a nice little bond and, you know, he started doing a bit more with me and only this morning he came in and, and, and came in and gave me a kiss, which he never does. You know, he's, he's just basically grabs his mum and clings to his mum. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, but I think for me, like, the, um, the challenges for me probably... Like I say, it's, it's probably not missing as much time with my kids, you know, yeah. not committing to work as much um, yeah. because I've, I, have been a, I have been very materialistic in, uh, uh, through the years and, and, and thought, well, you know what, as much, if I bring more money in, that'll make us happier. And it's, it's not, I've found that not to be the case at all. We've actually been happier when I've spent more time at home than, you know, constantly working. So yeah. I think that's a cha- that's a challenge for me anyway. You know, um, you know, spending more time with my family. Yeah, absolutely, pal. I can definitely agree with that as well. I'm I've been guilty of that many times in the past myself. Probably still am occasionally, but we've got to work on it, haven't we? Yeah, and it's hard. I think it's 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 getting it's getting that balance because I want me see I want my kids to see me having this work ethic. Exactly. So I, and I, I want I want them to see that, and I want yeah. them to see that you know if you want nice things, then you have got to go out there and work. But then my whole thing is, do you know what? Going back to you've just mentioned Jordi Franco there, and I like what Jordi Franco says. He always says when there's an, when when he's having a, a discussion, he generally finds the answers in the middle, yeah. and balance is a massive thing for me. So yeah. not going to one extreme working, but going to one extreme spending all my time with the kids is generally it's in the middle. Yeah. And it's good advice from uh, Jordi Franco that I think that the fact that he says the answer is generally in the middle is, I think, nine, 999 times out of a thousand, that's probably is the case. So you can't yeah. go wrong with that. Absolutely, mate. I, I agree. There's a, like you say, the, the balancing, it's hard to do, but if you can find it, it'll, you know, it'll work, won't it? So, go on, pal. No, no, I was just going to say, yeah, definitely. You know, that, that for me is, is, a, is a, definitely a key area in my life. Uh, trying to find balance in every single thing that I do. Mm-hmm. And I, I have this conversation with a couple of um, lads who I've played rugby with and ex-teammates where we say we seem to be, a lot of professional sports people seem to be very extreme very determined individuals, when they set the goals on something, they focus on it and they focus on it and they're blinkered to that, to that goal and they do nothing until they've achieved it. Right. And in a way, we're sort of, a lot of sports people are conditioned to that because, you know, we have a goal, uh, a sporting goal, and we just throw everything at it. Mm-hmm. But then when you come away from that sporting environment, that type of attitude doesn't necessarily work the same. No, you're right. Um, well, I can only imagine, yeah. So yeah, we we you know we've got to find some balance, some balance. Definitely, mate. Right, so almost coming to the end now, pal. Um, as I've done with all my guests, uh, have you got an embarrassing story for us, mate? Uh, whether it's don't necessarily have to be embarrassing where you felt embarrassed, but just something you know, a funny story where you ended up, whether it be in bloody trouble, making yourself look a bit of an idiot, or what, anything that might <laughs> give us a bit of a laugh shows shows you human, whether you're a pro athlete or the Toughest athlete alive, or whatever the bloody hell you call it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've I've, uh, I've been in trouble a few times, yeah. But um, I've got yeah. There's a few stories. I mean, one what just comes to mind is uh, an embarrassing story for me was uh, going back about eight years ago. Uh, we, there was uh, one of the lads you were playing rugby with, Ben Westwood. He was he'd, he'd played ten years at the club, so he had a testimonial. 
And one of his testimonial events to raise money for, for him and, and, and a charity was uh, a pantomime. <laughs> so we jumped in this pantomime and we had no acting experience whatsoever. We were just like, there was probably about eight of us, uh, big burly rugby men. And we did it with Warrington College, who were all professional actors. Um, so we're, we're on this stage and, and I have a false front tooth. And at the time it was on a plate. So um, I'm doing this scene with, with Mickey Iom and uh, I'm talking and I'm saying my lines and all of a sudden I said something and my tooth flew out on the floor and all the audience just like started laughing and, and but like we didn't want to come out of character and we, me and Mickey was talking like Cockneys because we was with these London characters, Snip and Tuckley was called and uh, he looked at me and I looked at him and he went, what's that? And I said, my tooth fell out and he went, We'll pad it in then. So I had to walk across this stage, pick my tooth up off the floor, put it back into my gob, and then just carry on acting as though nothing else had happened. I was so embarrassed because I didn't really like people knowing that I had no front tooth in. So that was, <laughs> that was quite embarrassing. There was, there was about 3,000 people uh, filling Warrington Power Hall at the I time. So I was going to ask how many people was it in front of? Yeah, there wasn't like 20 people though. There were about three and a half thousand people in oh, this Warrington Parallel and it was a sellout crowd. We did two shows. Both shows were sold out. And I think it was the last one that we did. My tooth decided to fly out and I was just like... <laughs> and everyone was just really embarrassed for me. But yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the embarrassing stories that I can tell. Oh, that's a good one, that, mate. I like it. So, um, I, don't, I mean, I know you don't really do social media all that much, do you? But... If, uh, if people do want to find you, maybe, and follow what you're up to, where can they find you, mate? Yeah, I mean, um, like I say, I don't do social media, but um, one of the accounts that I do tend to use quite a lot is my LinkedIn account, and it's just under Paul Wood. Um, yep. So, yeah, if anyone wants wants to connect with me uh, through LinkedIn, that that's the best social Perfect, media mate. platform. I don't really do much Instagram and, and Twitter, so mm -hmm. um, LinkedIn's pretty much as good as it gets. And I, I try to post... Uh, content on the at the moment i'm into david goggins yeah um, she's yeah. a brilliant motivator and um, he yeah he's he's uh his book's very very interesting and a lot of the podcasts i'm listening to so i've been posting quite a bit of content about david goggins on there and uh yeah so that's where i try to to um you know put the vibe out nice. uh, that i'm going through at the time I'll make sure I connect on there, mate. That's something my, my wife keeps badgering me for, me for my business. I need to use LinkedIn more because she uses it at work and it's one of those things I need to learn how to use because I've just not got a clue, even though it's probably well, simple. That, but I look at it, I think it don't look like Facebook or Instagram, so it's too too complicated for me. <laughs> it's, dead, it's dead easy. I mean, I had, the, I had the account for about seven years before I actually started using it. My friend yeah. set it up for me. Um, I had all these requests. I'd not used it for seven years, locked on, and then all of a sudden I, I couldn't be without it now because yeah. it's so good for the business that I'm involved in. But also there's some great content on there on leadership. You know, you can read some really good stuff and some good articles put on there, especially for your SNC. Uh, there's some guys on there who, who put some really good SNC content out, research papers on there. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's, it's really really good tool to use. Nice one, mate. I'll, uh, I need to make sure I check it out. Definitely. Right, no Paul, problem. I'll take up no more of your time. No worries. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah. Cheers. I appreciate your time, Paul. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Woody, lad. Cheers. Thank you. Bye, mate. Cheers.